Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church, an outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. So praise God. Now we were just looking at chapter 6 and 7. We were looking at uh, Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. And one of the things we saw there was that these evil men were united together in this conspiracy. They were, what the Bible says, in one accord. They were in one accord to lie and deceive and to destroy this beautiful man, Stephen, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, walking in the miraculous, signs, wonders, power of God. I mean, and again, he wasn't an apostle. Some people just like to put the apostles on a pedestal and say, now, you know, that God used the apostles that way, but, you know, that's not for us today. And, you know, some people even call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. But no, it's the Acts of the early church. That's really what it is. It's the Acts of the early church. It wasn't limited to the apostles. Stephen was not an apostle, and yet he did amazing uh, miracles, signs, and wonders, as well as Philip, which we'll see again here in just a little bit. But they were in one accord, just as we saw the church was in one accord on the day of Pentecost. And what happened when they got into one accord? 120 people got it, just 120, got into one accord. But I'm doing that's pretty supernatural. 120 people, you know, of the same mind, the same heart, going in the same direction, all wanting the same thing, no division among them. That's pretty powerful. And when they got into one accord, there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The power of God came in there, filled them up, and just began to turn the world upside down. Because they're in one accord. But now, see, it's the same with the wicked. When the wicked get into one accord, uh, they release demonic power, satanic power. And we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We understand there is a real devil. We understand there are demons. We understand that not everything is because it's God's will. Or God must have wanted it. Or God's, God's ultimately behind it doing it. You know, no matter how bad and evil and ugly it is. I mean, that's just wicked theology. It's wicked doctrine, man. It's unscriptural. It's not the Bible. No, we have an evil devil. We have evil spirits that we have to contend with here on the earth. And so when men get into one accord for evil, for Satan's purposes, then they release demonic power. And as you and I are here living in the last days, we've got to understand we're coming into a time like no other time where we've got a worldwide one accord among the wicked. That's what's beginning to form. A one world, worldwide, wicked coalition. A coming together of all the wicked against Christ, against the body of Christ. But we have no fear. One of us will put a thousand to flight. Two of us in one accord will put 10,000 to flight. How about 120? I mean, we come into one accord. We got the power of God. Devils, I don't care what they got. They ain't got nothing. They got nothing against you and I when you and I have God on our side. If God be for us, if God be for us, who can be against us? So let's just make sure that we're all moving in the same direction. Because the wicked sure are. They're, They're moving in the same direction. They're all coming together. I mean, they're aggressively unifying. 
So we need to be aggressive about it. We need to be ahead of them. I said we need to be ahead of them. And we need to be aggressive about coming together in these last days. But as we see the men coming together in one accord in these last days, there will be more Christians that will be martyred. Now, I didn't say murdered. I said martyred. You, you and I are not victims. We're not victims. You and I have the privilege, if called upon, to lay our life down for the gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to realize that is a great honor. They understood that as a great honor to suffer, to be beaten, to be thrown into prison and even to die for the Lord's sake. They, they counted that an honor. They rejoiced over that. And so we need to, again, getting back to the book of Acts, having that mentality, we must not love our lives in this world more than his life, more than eternal life, more than God's life. And we're not just earthbound creatures trying to build our kingdom down here on this. So you got to watch, you know, when you get entangled with the affairs of this life, it all becomes about this life. We've got to beware of that and realize it's not all about this life, not by a long shot. This life is a vapor. It's a little mist that appears for a little while, James said. So it's just here for a little while. But we've got all eternity to enjoy God. To enjoy God. So I'm not saying you're going to get killed. I'm just saying you might be put into a position where you may be able to lay your life down for the Lord. And we got to look at that as, as an honor. As an honor. But just like Jesus, we have to have the attitude, nobody takes my life from me. No devil, no sickness, no disease, no murderer, no nutcase. Nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. So we're not done until we say we're done. Until we have fulfilled God's purpose and plan for our life. That's got to be our attitude. That's got to be our attitude. So we expect to live long on the earth, but if called upon, we'll lay all that aside to be able to honor the Lord and uh, advance his kingdom. It advances his kingdom. And so let's pick it up here. Chapter 8. We're starting in chapter 8. Uh, it says in verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, to the death of Stephen. He was consenting to his death. Uh, he was there, I guess, holding the garments, the Bible says, of those that were stoning Stephen to death. How many people know that even though he might not have been the ones throwing the stone, because he was consenting to his death, he was just as guilty as killing Stephen. He is just as guilty as taking a stone and just giving that fatal shot to Stephen's head. We need to understand that, that if we're consenting to wrongdoing, then we're guilty of it. And God sees us as a part of it. That's why we don't want any part in any kind of wicked scheme, any kind of wicked imagination. We don't want, it, we don't want to have any of that in our life. We're not consenting to it. We're not entertained by it. It's not enjoyment to us. We don't want anything to do with it because that's not our heart. If you enjoy it, if you consent to it, then that says something about your heart. And so you've got to do a, uh, you know, a little examination there. Make sure your heart is right with God. It goes on here. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. So up to this time, there was some persecution here and there. But now a great persecution 
arose against the church. Kind of like, you know, we were talking about moves of God. Uh, this would be a move of the devil. A move of Satan. A great move of the devil. What would be a great move of the devil? Great persecution. Attack the church. People wanting to rise up and attack the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made, made great lamentation over him. Now notice that these were devout men. Notice, these, were, these were very religious, very honorable men. These were, these were good guys, really good guys. And notice what they did. It says they carried Stephen to his burial which, you know, really is putting their life on the line, right? Because they're identifying with this guy, Stephen. They're identifying with him. And it says they made great lamentation over him. They mourned Stephen's death. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. And there's a time to dance. But there is a time to mourn. Mourning is not a bad thing. Grieving over, we'll say, the loss of someone, someone's death. Even though you say, well, we didn't really lose them. If they went to heaven, we're going to see them again. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. But, you know, you've lost them for a season here on earth, you know, while you're here on earth. To mourn over that person isn't unbelief. It isn't doubt and unbelief. It isn't wrong. It's okay to grieve and mourn and to express sorrow over the death of somebody. So we've got to watch because, you know, people can get into the ditch concerning these things when it comes to faith. Now, in our hearts, we rejoice. If we know they made heaven, we know, you know, praise God, they're up there walking the streets of gold, and whew, there's a joy there. There's joy in that. There's excitement in that. But at the same time, if there's sorrow for what you've lost here on earth, that's okay too. These men made great lamentation. I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 57 when I was looking at this verse. It says in Isaiah 57 verse 1, it says, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Now that's not a good thing. Think about that. The righteous perish, and no man takes it to heart. Well, that'd be like, almost like they don't care. I mean, here this righteous man like Stephen dies. And it's like, we just got to get back, get on with our lives. And nobody really takes it to heart. The loss of the righteous. You can see here uh, how it's being said in Isaiah that that is not a good thing. He goes on, merciful men are taken away. While no one considers, nobody takes the time to think about these things, to think about the loss of these things. You know, I've grieved over people that have passed. I knew they went to heaven. But I looked and I thought, you know, and some of them were just new believers. But I knew within them was a great soldier. It was a lot of honor, a lot of integrity, a lot of, a lot of character. There was a lot of good things in them. And we lost somebody. We lost somebody on the battlefield of life. And, uh, and that could hurt. I think it should hurt. I think we should feel that. I think we should feel that, that loss and that pain. 
And so when we do, it's okay. I said it's okay. Now the Bible does tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, over in verse 13, that we're not to sorrow like those who have no hope. There's people that sorrow, they have no hope. And that really, that really gets to me. You know, a Memorial Day was last weekend. And there were some folks that posted some pictures. And you just see people hanging on to tombstones. And they're just devastated. They're just devastated. Now, that's not a good thing. Where it's this hopelessness. It's a, it's a hopeless grieving and mourning. Thank God you and I have hope. Ooh, hallelujah. And it's not just a wishing and hoping. You know what I'm saying? We're not wishing and hoping there's a heaven. No, dear God, we know it's real. Amen. It's what we're fighting for. It's what we're, we're living for. Praise God for eternal life. And, and so uh, we're, we're not to be devastated where we can't live anymore. I can't, I can't go on it. No, 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 listen. The, the only one who would die that would leave you hopeless would be Jesus if he didn't rise from the dead. But he rose from the dead. Praise God for that. But so we have hope. We have hope and we're living for him. But people get devastated. I can't live anymore. My life is ruined. This will, this, this will just haunt me for the rest of my life. That's a hopeless grieving. And that's not a good thing. We don't, we don't grieve like those that have no hope. Thank God you and I have hope. Can you say amen? amen. Praise God. So everybody, you know, processes these things differently. Everybody processes them a, a little differently. And, and, it ha- and, that, and that varies depending on all kinds of different circumstances involved in each individual's case. So, but it's, it's somebody say, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to, grieve. It's okay to sorrow. It's okay to cry. It's okay to mourn. And it's okay to dance. It's okay to rejoice. It's okay to shout. You know, some folks get mad if you're shouting and dancing and having a good time. You know, when, you know, someone they love died. Someone they cared about, you know, has passed away. And then they get offended that, you know, you're, you're, you're having a good time celebrating the victory. Well, there's both. And neither one is wrong. They're celebrating the victory. There's being mad at the devil. Right? And, and there's, there's grief and sorrow for that soldier that was taken out in the battle of life. Hallelujah. Verse 3, Acts. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul was a bad guy. He was a really bad guy. He was dragging people off to prison. It didn't matter, men and women. Just grabbing them, dragging them off to prison. Later we'll see. I mean, you know, he tortured these people. He was a mean guy. He was trying to get them to to renounce their faith in Jesus. He was feared. People were afraid of this guy. In Acts chapter 26, this is Paul. Now he's, now he's been saved. This Saul, later Paul, you know, he's been converted. He's been saved. He's the great Paul the apostle now. 
And he makes this statement in verse, uh, chapter 26 of Acts, verse 9. He says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I, no, notice what he said there. I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. See, he thought he was doing his duty to God. He thought he was serving God. He thought this is what he was supposed to do. He thought he was pleasing God. Verse 10, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Many of them I shut up in prison. Having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So he, he I mean, he was, he, like I said, he was a bad dude. He was, an, he was an angry guy and he was coming hard after the church. Now again, he becomes Paul the Apostle. I mean, he becomes the exact opposite, the total opposite of, of what we see here in Acts when he's Saul. I mean, he goes from trying to destroy the church to building the church, to saving as many people as he can, which tells us you just never know what's in a person, the potential that's in them. Some people will persecute you because they hate God. They hate God. Haters of God. Uh, you, you know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people just hate, just hate God. Saul actually didn't hate God. This was his love for God. He was lost. He was on his way to hell. He was going the wrong direction. He was actually fighting against God. But he thought he was doing God a service. He thought, this is what you do when you love God. You're just zealous for him. And you get rid of these Christians. And so he's trying to get these guys to blaspheme, deny Christ, all this. Verse 4, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Notice that. They went everywhere, preaching the word. So here this heavy persecution comes down upon God's people, and they all get shoved out of their comfort zone. And like it says here, Paul said, you know, he, he chased them off into foreign countries. I mean, he chased them, he chased them far off. Scattered the church. Wouldn't it have been nicer if God could have just sent them into all the world? If he could have just sent them out? But you know, sometimes people just get comfortable with being Christians. They get happy with being Christians. They get so happy with being Christians and so content and comfortable being Christians that they just forget about the rest of the world. I think that's what was happening here in Jerusalem. Church was just flourishing Everybody was prospering. I mean, everybody's having a great time. They're getting the word. They're growing in God. And nobody's going. Now the going and the bringing the people to the Lord, getting the gospel out, has now not, has moved to the back burner. It's not on the front burner. Persecution rises up. And now they're scattered. And they go out everywhere preaching the gospel. Well, praise God. I don't want to have to be scattered to go do the will of God. I don't want to go scattered. I don't want to be like Jonah. 
You, you know the story of Jonah. Uh, you know that God said to him, now go to Nineveh and preach to them. Tell them to repent over there in that city, Nineveh. He said, I ain't doing that. And he took off and he went and he got in a ship to go to Tarsus. And he gets on this boat to go to Tarsus and a big storm arose. Just like that persecution there in Acts. That big storm arose. And, and that boat was just about ready to sink. And Jonah says, this storm is because of me. Tells the other guys on the ship, throw me overboard and the storm will cease. They didn't want to do it. They tried to hang on as long as they could. But finally, they, they said, oh, God, forgive us. Don't hold this man's blood against us. And they took him and threw him overboard. As soon as they threw him overboard, the storm stopped. As soon as they threw him overboard. And then a great fish came and swallowed him up. Swallowed him up. And then <clears throat> couldn't stand it any longer. The fish couldn't stand it anymore. And just spewed him up. Backsliders just... They're hard to stomach, you know. And he just, even the whale couldn't handle it, just spoo him out on the beach, you know. <clears throat> he's just, and he's thrown up on the beach, and he said, all right, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, go to, go to Nineveh and preach to it. Nothing's changed. <laughs> okay. And so he goes off to Nineveh. You know, it would have been better for him if he just did it the first time. Right? He wouldn't have to go through all that. Now, thank God he still had another chance. Some people never get a chance. They just drown. He got another chance. That whale was his second chance. And he got spewed up on the beach. Thank God for that. Thank God when the Lord gives us second chances. How many people have had a third chance? Who's had a fourth? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Thank God for that. My man, let's just get it the first time. Right? God says something to us. Let's not dig our heels in and resist him. Let's yield to the Holy Spirit. Let's go with God and just do the will of God and then we don't have to be scattered, you know. I've been preaching uh, on Wednesday nights about being preemptive in this waging a war against the enemy, against darkness. We got to be proactive. We got to be the aggressors. Otherwise, the enemy, he becomes the aggressor. He gets a head start on us and he ends up scattering us, which is really being in a, in a defensive position. You're now retreating. You're running. You're, you're being scattered. God doesn't want us on the defense. Sometimes you have to be on the defense. I understand that. But God wants us on the offense. He wants us aggressively coming against the powers of darkness, coming against the enemy. And so I think we'll see less scattering if people will obey God, be aggressive with God, and just do what he's called them to do. What has he called you to do? Huh? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I'm not sure what he's called me to do. Oh, that's ridiculous. He's called you to fellowship with him. He's called you to know him. Come on, somebody. He's called you to attend Life Faith Bible Church. We can get into details about that. He's, he's called you to be a witness. He's called you to go out and share the gospel. He's called you to... He's called you... I mean, he's called you to be his ambassador. You, you have a calling. Fulfill that calling on your life. Don't be idle, sitting around, waiting for a calling when you've already have plenty of callings right from the Word of God. Speaking to you, telling you what to do. Can you say amen to that? So they were scattered and, uh, and they went everywhere. Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Again, now Philip, you know, he wasn't an apostle. He's later called an evangelist. That's it. We have, do we have evangelists today? 
All right, well, here he is. And the Bible says, he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, hating the things spoken by Philip, uh, and the multitudes with one accord, hated the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Is there anybody possessed today? Yeah, if there were many possessed people back then, there are many more possessed people today. Many possessed people among us. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. That's the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. And these people are happy. And then we see in verse 14 that Peter and John came down there to Samaria, prayed for them. They might receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse 17 that they laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. Praise God. That's still something that goes on today. How many people can witness? You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the laying on of hands. The power of God that's transmitted through the laying on of hands. That is Bible doctrine. Verse 27. So he arose. Now this is Philip. Remember he's preaching in Samaria. This great, this great citywide revival. Maybe thousands of people. Being healed, delivered, great things happening. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Probably why he's right in the middle of this revival. Saying, arise, go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is, this is desert. That's amazing. An angel of the Lord spoke to him. That doesn't mean he saw the angel. But he received direction from an angel. Again, we've already looked and we've seen angelic activity here in the book of Acts. And our angels are very much involved in helping the church. And again, speaking in tongues is speaking the language of angels. And so angels, we can expect to be more involved in, in our lives, helping us today. And again, Hebrews 13 tells us, that we should entertain strangers because some have unknowingly entertained angels. I mean, we should be expecting angels to be assisting us and helping us. Aren't you grateful for the angels this morning that are around us? He's, he's, the Lord's given them charge over us to keep us in all our ways. A lot of times we become so conscious of demons. I got news for you. We got angels all around us. We got angels all around us. Praise God forever. There are more. And by the way, there's more with us than there are with them. There are more angels with us than there are with the devil and his demons. So this angel gives him direction and tells him, basically, leave this revival and go down here to Gaza. And verse 27 says, So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So notice, first an angel speaks to him. And then the spirit speaks to him. Isn't this amazing? How God communicates with us. He communicates us through all different ways. Sometimes it's through an angel. I'm reminded of a story of a, of a, of a minister who was ministering along. And as he was ministering, he was preaching the gospel. All of a sudden, he'd just get fired up, man. He'd just say some things, just get all excited and just fired up. And then just kind of go back to just, you know, preaching. Steady, steady as you go, you know, ministering the word. 
Then all of a sudden he'd just get excited and he'd just start, you know, really just turn into fiery preaching, you know. And there was this gentleman towards the back and he was a new believer. He looked up and all of a sudden he saw this angel, this huge angel. He saw into the realm of the spirit. Nobody else could see it. He saw this huge angel just walking next to that preacher. And every once in a while, that angel would just lean over and say something in his ear. And when that angel would say something in his ear, whoo, he'd just get off, go just take off preaching, you know. Now, the preacher himself didn't even know it was an angel speaking to him. He didn't see the angel, but this man saw that angel. See, we've got angelic assistance around us, speaking to us, influencing our thoughts, helping us, helping us this morning, helping you sitting in the chair. I mean, you might just be sitting in the chair and all of a sudden, whoo, I see it. Because an angel helped you maybe. And then you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that speaks to you. He'll convict you and he'll, he'll reverse and he'll say things to you. And you'll have that inner, inner voice of the Holy Spirit talk to you and tell you things. And so sometimes God uses angels. Sometimes he uses the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he uses preachers. Sometimes he uses whatever he might mean, whatever, whatever he wants to use to get the message to you that you need. So we need to understand that and be open. Open to how God speaks to us, not limit him. Not limit him to just one way that he talks to us. And so here it says in verse 28, so he was returning, sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near, overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? I love that. Spirit of God spoke to him. And what did he do? Lord, Lord, I'm in the middle of having this revival here. My Lord, you want me to leave right now? And Philip argued with him. Or Philip said, that can't be God. God wouldn't want me to leave where I am to go down there and talk to one person. Leave this great revival where thousands are getting saved. No, no, I love it. What did he do? He took off running. He didn't delay to obey the Spirit of God. Maybe that's why God used him so mightily. You know, there's a reason why God's able to use certain people in certain ways. It's sometimes it's because they'll yield to him in ways that you won't. But if we would yield to the Lord more fully in the same way they are, God could use us the same way. I mean, Philip didn't delay. He just took off running. I mean, took off running. Went and chased after this man's chariot. No questions asked. Verse 31. Uh, verse, uh, he ran to him. Heard him reading, and he said to him, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So this is Isaiah the prophet writing this about Jesus. It's just so amazing when you go through the Old Testament and you look 
at all the different prophecies concerning Jesus and how perfectly he fulfills them all. I mean, look how this describes hundreds of years before Jesus came. And look how perfectly this describes him. And so, verse 34, it says, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Hallelujah. So here this man is seeking answers. He's in the word and he's seeking understanding and God sends him a preacher. God sends him Philip, the evangelist, to come in there and give him understanding of the scriptures. Are you thankful for preachers? We owe so much to them. I'm so grateful to God for the ministers that have imparted things into my life, that have spoken into my life. I mean, you just could never be where you are today without them. No matter how much you study the Bible, no matter how, how much you pray, we need the five-fold ministry. We need the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Amen. We need them to speak into our life because there's some things we're just not going to get on our own. And God has designed it for us to be able to receive things through those five-fold ministry gifts. And if we don't sit before them and receive from those gifts, there's a lot of things God's not going to be able to show us. That's why we never know what we're missing when we miss church. You never know. I mean, it, it could be life or death. That particular service could be life or death. You've got to look at it that way. I mean, how many people believe meeting with God is vital? Yeah. It's vital. Meeting with God. God says, I need to have a meeting with you. Huh? I need, I need to have a meeting with you. <laughs> 1045. 1400 Spiegel Lane, Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> yes, Lord! Yes, Lord. I mean, you come trembling. My God. What's he going to say to me? It's a matter of life or death. Yes, Jesus. That's what this is. This is a divine appointment. I didn't make this up. You didn't make this up. God made this up. God put this together. And that's why we're here. We're meeting with him. And there's some things we're just never going to get unless we're sitting where we're supposed to be sitting, hearing from the minister that he has before us. Even with guest ministers, you know, you got to be led by the Spirit of God. you got to, you know, I want to follow the Spirit of God and do that. I don't just have anybody commit. Follow, follow the Spirit of God. Who's the voice for this time? Who is it you want to speak to us, Lord? And so, in fact... Just for your records, the last weekend of August, I got Marty Blackwelder coming. So he's confirmed for the last weekend of August, so mark your calendars. Hallelujah. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think I'll go on a Friday, and then I'll go to Margaret's on Saturday, and then I don't know about Sunday, because if I went on Friday, you know, you're never going to make it. You're not going to amount to anything in the kingdom of God. I'll just tell you that right now. It won't amount to a thing in the kingdom of God. But if you want to amount to something in the kingdom, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to fulfill the plan and purpose of God for your life, then you take it a whole lot more serious than that. And pastor, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be at church Sunday. I just look at him and say, I'll be there. I'll be there. 
Wouldn't it be weird if I didn't? You know, I don't know if I'm going to make it today. I just don't know if I'm going to make it today. I just don't. You know, I just don't know. That wouldn't work out too well, would it? How many people think I might get in trouble with the boss? You think I might get in trouble with the boss? But you won't. You don't show up for work, but you don't get in trouble with the boss. I, it's just me. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. It's just me. I'm just the guy. That's right. I'll take it. I'll take the hit for you, you know. But it's just not quite that way. You're accountable. And you need this. It's not out of a legal obligation. It's my God. It's life. It's life. God, look what God's offering me. I'm going to get into his house. He's invited me over. I'm going to get in there and have dinner. I'm going to eat the food that he's prescribed for me. Praise God. I'm going to get everything he's got for me. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up. I want it to overflow. Hallelujah. I don't want to miss a thing. Can you say amen? amen? Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. This is Philip and the eunuch. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Don't you love this guy? Instead of having to tell him, now, we've got to sign up. Make sure you sign up for baptism. We've got a baptismal coming up next week. Push, shove. Come on. Come on. You can do this. He's like, what hinders me? And I love, I love Philip's response. Philip doesn't respond with, you know, oh, absolutely. He says, if. If you believe with all your heart, you may. But if you don't believe with all your heart, you may not. Now, I ain't going to mess around here. Are you, are you serious about this? Are you talking about giving your whole heart to the Lord? Or are you talking about being religious? Are you talking about an answer to a good conscience? You want to give your whole heart to him? Then you may do it. Otherwise, I ain't baptizing you. I love that. Lord, help me to be like Philip. Make us more bold. Make us more bold. You know, we, I think we try to hard sell the gospel too much. Try to push and shove. And, oh, you know, come to Jesus, got a wonderful plan for your life. It's like, it's, the awesome, it's an awesome invitation. It's an awesome invitation. And uh, so if you, if you give your whole heart, then you may. Then you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. How would you like that for a sign and a wonder? I mean, he, Philip baptizes him, goes under the water, comes up, boom, Philip's gone. Man, that's powerful. He was just translated out of there, just vanished out of there. Does God do things like that? Yes. God does things like that. And you know what? You and I need to expect things like that to happen in our life. We need to expect translations like that to take place. You know, that, uh, I know that happened to Gene uh, and I one time coming back from Lexington. We went down to a, to a meeting down there, minister's meeting, and uh, I was exhausted. I was so tired coming home. I thought, Lord, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You know, I might have to pull over. She's already knocked out. <sighs> she's, she's over there just sleeping away. And 
all of a sudden, we, I don't know, we were just driving for maybe, 20, I don't know, it's like 20, 25 minutes, something like that. And I look up, and it says Gene Snyder, next exit. I was like, now wait a second here. That can't be Gene Snyder. That has to be another Gene Snyder. It was Gene Snyder. Praise the Lord. Got home, I believe, supernaturally fast. Just boom, boom. We were there. Thank God. He's merciful. Amen. And, uh, but over in John chapter 6, you see this. This isn't an isolated incident of being translated. We see with Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 19, it says, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they, were willi- then they willingly received him into the boat, And immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. Now, of course, you know, the other gospel points out that Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water with Jesus. Remember that? Jesus came to them walking on the water. Peter walked on the water. Uh, This doesn't go into that detail. But immediately, it talks about this translation. They were immediately on the land, on on the other side. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 says... And Enoch, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. So Enoch, you know, he's just walking with the Lord, and then he just disappears. And he is not anymore. He was just, he just disappeared. That's pretty cool. He never tasted death. He never died. He just stepped over to the other side. That's a great way to go. You know, people look at that and say, well, that's, that's like the rapture, you know. That's, that sounds like the rapture of the church. Some people say, yeah, there's, there's going to be a rapture because, because we see there's been raptures. You know, Enoch was raptured, you know. Uh, and so there's going to be a rapture. I don't argue that there's going to be a rapture at all. In fact, I've written a book. It's called The Truth Concerning the Great Tribulation, A Faith Guide for the Final Days. You can get it at your nearby church bookstore or even at that back table over there if you haven't gotten it already. But it's A Faith Guide for the Final Days. It talks a lot about the rapture. And there is going to be a rapture. But when is that rapture going to occur? Well, if we're going to use Enoch as an example of someone that was raptured, then why don't we just go and look at what it says about Enoch in Jude chapter 1, verse 14. Jude 1.14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, about all the wicked men that will be in the last days, saying, Behold, the Lord comes. Everybody say, the Lord comes. So he's referring to the Lord's coming. Enoch. Enoch's referring to the Lord's coming. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. But notice that Enoch, who is raptured, talks about the Lord's coming. And so if we're going to connect the rapture to Enoch, then you've got to connect it to the second coming of Christ. So it's when he comes again. It's not pre-trib, mid-trib. It's when he returns. That's when, that's when we're all going to be changed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, not everybody's going to experience death. 
But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we, didn't say before the trumpet, it says the last trumpet. And we shall be changed. Right? The last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So it's when death is actually taken, death is referred to as the last enemy. When the last enemy death is taken and cast into the lake of fire, then the dead in Christ will rise their physical bodies will be raised from the dead and rejoin their spirits. Those that are alive during that time, the Bible says they'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. They'll, be, they'll go from corruptible to incorruptible. Hallelujah. That's what's going to happen in that time. But uh, that's not for a little ways off. That's not tomorrow, guys. That's not tomorrow. Praise God. But thank God it's going to happen. Hallelujah. I believe when that happens, I'll be on a white horse. Coming back. Praise God, which is a good thing too. Now, you know, um, some people have wondered about, I've had several people ask me about the book of Enoch. You know, do you, you think the book of Enoch should be considered as, you know, one of the books of the Bible? You know, they wonder, they wonder about that. I would say this. I would say when you have faithfully spent your time studying what you know to be the genuine word of God, and then you have some extra time, then you can go ahead and read the book of Enoch. All right, and so, but I have found that most Christians haven't even read through their their whole new, Old and New Testament yet. So let's not talk about Enoch right now. I think I think we got enough to work on. Can you say Amen? Hebrews chapter eleven mentions Enoch again. Very interesting. Genesis just this one sentence: Enoch seventh from Adam. You know and then was taken, but he's actually in the hall of fame of faith over in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. The Bible says in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Now some translations say Enoch was translated, not just taken away. Now that's very interesting though because when people die many times, people say, um, you know, the Lord took him. You know, the Lord took him because he needed another flower in his garden in heaven, you know. The Lord took him. So the Lord took him in, in that car wreck. The Lord took him through that disease. The Lord took him. No, 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 no. When the Bible talks about God taking somebody, there's no death. Because God's not into death. Death is an enemy. It's our enemy. It's God's enemy. So God doesn't take people by killing them. No, if, if God took them, then they were translated. They were raptured. They were just taken and they, they, they passed over death. They skipped that process of dying. And so, but by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So you see, he was taken or he was translated because of his faith, which means it wasn't just a sovereign act of God. In other words, it wasn't just all on God's end. No, he had a lot to do with it. He pleased God. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
And so he pleased God because of his faith. It was his faith. It was his faith that caused him to walk so close to the Lord that caused him to be taken by the Lord. It wasn't just the Lord just decided to take him. It was his faith that caused him to be taken. So you see, a lot of what we experience in life has to do with us. How we respond to the Lord. How we respond to his word. What we're doing with our relationship with him. Let's walk close with him. Let's have that same testimony that we are those who please God. Man, that'd be nice on the, on the, on the tombstone that nobody ever reads. It'd be nice if it said it on there, though. It said, it says, Stephen Frazier, a man who pleased God. Ooh, that'd be nice. Hallelujah. Wouldn't you like that? Of course, it's on a tombstone, but it's not in God's books. That's no good. Put it on the tombstone, but it's not in his books. You want your books to match his books. You know, when the audit comes, you want your books to match his books. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. Verse 40. But Philip was found at Esotas. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now look at this. This guy's amazing. He's having a, a, a citywide revival. The paralyzed are getting up. Demon possessed are getting delivered. There's great joy in the city. Then an angel comes to him and says, go over here. I got someone I want you to talk to. He runs over there. Then the Spirit of God, then he, he goes in that direction. The Spirit of God says, go ahead and overtake that chair. He runs over there. He starts preaching the gospel to this one man. And then he baptizes him. He gets the guy saved. Praise God. It's a good testimony. Gets the guy saved. And then he's translated out of there. And then he's found over here. And uh, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's like, you know, it's just another day for Philip. He just went right back to preaching again. Just pray. Hey, Philip, where were you this week? Nah, just hanging around. I was just hanging around, praise God. You know, just spending some time with the Lord. Sounds pretty adventurous, don't you think? Glory be to God. I want to live that kind of life. I want, I want God to use me like that, praise God. Just take me where you want me to go, and we'll do all kinds of supernatural things together. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Is God good? Why don't we stand up and thank Him this morning? Glory to God. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888 888- We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.